Pelotero Pickle, episode 32. We're talking Vandy pitching, specifically Jack Leiter's no-hitter. We got spring training results. Do they matter? What can we learn from them? How about lessons from a big leaguer for your high school and college preseason? Do college basketball players poop down their legs? And what is the best movie on a team bus? Let's check it out. Pickle, 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 episode 32, almost a Larry Bird edition. Chris, how are you doing today? If it's almost a Larry Bird edition, it's the Magic Johnson edition. Oh, that's fair. That's uh, the Bobby Tewksbury plus four edition because I was 28. Actually, Bobby Tewksbury college press plus pro edition because I was 28 in college and four in pro ball. Do you want to just keep making obscure references to numbers and see? I would love that. I would love that because I can see Patrick like kind of rolling his eyes in the corner of my in my peripheral vision. So yeah. let's just keep making obscure. He loves when we number. ramble on like this. 32. Obviously, I'm going to make this about me and homers. One more homer than I hit in all of 2013 between AAA and the big leagues. You know what we should do? We should get like a weird sound, like a symbol or something for every time I tell a homer story. It's just more editing, but we can make him do it. No, if we actually got the symbols, we wouldn't need to do the digital. Oh, just in real time. <laughs> just crash the symbols. Yeah. I would have to carry those with me at all times, though, because you tell so many homer stories. But if you had the little ones that you could put in your pocket. Like, like the monkey size, cartoon that'd monkey size. That would be so awesome. Oh, God. What a good idea. I could probably just get like an app for that. Program my phone. Anytime you tell a homer story that Siri plays the, the little symbol crash. That'd be fun. Yeah, I'm in. I'll look into it. You ready to jump into topics? I'm ready, man. All right. We got Jack Leiter of Vanderbilt Baseball just dicing up. I don't even know who they played, but he threw a new hitter. He dominated. Um, question here is concept of we've got these elite arms. They got Leiter and Rocker. These two kids are just blowing people away. Their stats are like almost identical. They're just dominating the college level right now. So Patrick and I were actually talking about this. We said, could they go to the big leagues right now? Yes. Pros and cons, yes and no's, reasoning, thoughts. Um, one thing that I was talking about w- with him was the whole concept of like what they did with the Atlantic League. They're putting in all the same data, all the same technology to get comparable data. So you could say like, all right, Jack Leiter, this is your stuff. And they could then project how that would play in the major leagues. I looked up a bunch of his numbers uh, his fastball spin rate isn't high, but he throws from, he gets like crazy extension. So he throws from a lower angle. So he's got his, his vertical approach angle on his pitch is really low. Uh, so it's a very flat pitch. So that's why he gets so many swing and misses on his, uh, fastball. Um, same thing with rocker. They both get really good extension. Might be a Vandy thing. They got a really nice pitching lab. They got really good coaches there. Uh, so the question is like, can we just take that data and say, yep, he's good enough. Throw him out there. How much seasoning does a kid like that need? Well, lighter, and he's grown up around it. So does he have the mindset? Does he have the makeup? Does he have the character? Does he have blah, 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 all that stuff? Could you just throw him out there? Would that be good or bad? There's like the service time aspect of this where you talk about the business of the game. But they're studs. They're good. Can we can we go back in time and, and talk about and do like Jack Lighter of the uh, Yorkshire Lighters or Nashville Lighters? You know, like son of Al type thing, you know, so you know the family descendant line like back in medieval times. 
Um, yeah, completely different pitcher than his dad. Left-handed slot thrower uh, who was really good in his own right. But, mm-hmm. I, yeah, those two guys are definitely ready to pitch in big leagues. The only question you have to ask is how long is it going to take them to get their footing when they get there? Because no matter what, if you haven't experienced the highest level, it, it's just it, – it's something you dream about your whole life. It's the third deck effect, all the stuff you want to talk about. It's the big leagues, right? And – and depending on your personality and your persona and those characteristics, I think you can handle it. And I would imagine if anybody's equipped to do it, it's somebody that grew up around it. Um, I'm sure Al was still playing when Jack was born. I want to say, yeah, it must be, it's close anyway. And uh, so I'm sure he's been around it a lot. Uh, is Casey Was Casey Mines any different than these guys, or was he, like, his metrics across the board were pretty close? That was the name that was brought up uh, as, yeah. a, as a comp here, where – like dude's ready to go but just to give you some context just to give you some context he gave up what like five or six the other day he's got like an eight or nine era in spring training so i mean it depends what does ready to go mean like ready to go take your lumps in the big leagues and be a little bit more nervous and face some higher caliber hitters guys that when you make mistakes have a chance to do damage like i think the thing that's happening right now for those guys and this is how good they are is they can make mistakes and, and get away with them more often than not um like any mistakes they're making are not necessarily getting punished. So the reality of it is, you know, how long will it take them to get seasoned? And then, like you said, the question becomes, the, the onus really gets put on the organizations, right? Uh, I heard stuff about like Bobby Witt Jr. with the service time manipulation with the Royals. And I mean, it just depends. Like if a team doesn't feel like they're ready to win within that time frame, you know, bring them up and just too much business to it. But certainly from a pitching perspective, I would say they have – top 5% stuff in the big leagues right now. I'd be very curious to see some sort of data on, on their misses. Like if they miss their spot, if they throw a hittable pitch, like an MOB comparative, you know, if a, if a big league guy misses in this fashion, how's that ball get hit? That'd be cool data to look at. Um, I don't know if that data really exists. Hitting's just hard anyway. Yeah. Like you could throw 97. That's really flat at the, at the middle of the zone and get swings and misses. Is there any scenario right now in which those guys go into a weekend nervous about having to get people out? Like, are they going into a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series right now going, man, I'm, I'm worried about this outing? No, right? They're just probably licking their chops. Just right. Yeah, I can't wait for, can't <laughs> wait for 7.05 on Friday. So, I mean. like It was his first SEC start ever, and he threw no header. Yeah, so that's Pretty what I'm saying. Like, I don't think – either one of those guys are feeling any nerves, pressure, tension of what is in their future, what is in their present. So, I mean, right right there you could say, all right, well, they've built in the characteristics that allow them to be really good at the highest level of college baseball. So their their learning curve is probably shorter at the big league level. But, I mean, remember Andrew – like there were guys that signed big, big league deals. Like Andrew Miller, when he signed, he was really good and um, – you know, he signed a deal out of North Carolina saying he had to be in the big leagues by the end of the year. So I, I think there's always guys in college baseball that are capable of pitching in the big leagues. And let's not forget, I, I don't, to me, this stuff is not the thing that ultimately separates. And I think this is the part of the conversation. Is, it's how ready are you to do it? That's the question you have to answer. How ready are you to give up six in three innings and answer questions after that and then bounce back the next day? One thing that they're doing really good at Vandy, and we got to visit there, like what five years ago six years ago five years ago um they do a great job bringing their alumni back they 
have like a club, they have a, a locker room specifically for their alumni, their professional alumni in their clubhouse. So these guys are around it. I'm sure like David Price is probably texting them being like, dude, that was sick. The support that they have from that university and from the, the alumni of that university is probably awesome. Yeah, David Price, Sonny Gray, Walker Buehler, Tyler Beatty. I'm sure I'm leaving a ton out, but there's, there's some dudes that are coming out of that system. Like, how about this? If you're a high school kid, would you rather go to be in a minor league system or go to Vanderbilt and be in their development system? Well, when Tyler Beatty told me he was going to take Vanderbilt instead of the first round, because Tyler used to like bat boy for us for the Worcester Tornadoes, me, Treza, and Rick Azadorian, who was a first rounder, were all like, you got to go, man. You, you got the first round. It doesn't get any higher. He kind of stuck it up our butt after that and was like, hey, I'm going to go to Vandy, win a national championship, get drafted higher, and get more money. So I was like, Lighter's in, the, Lighter's in the same exact situation right now where he, he was drafted, got, a, got an offer, and now he's putting himself in, in a, I think, top five projected. Is that, is that right? Well, the other kids, gonna, they're talking about the other guy going 1-1, one, one, right? Kumar? Yeah. Is he the better pitcher? I don't know if he's the better pitcher. Is he a safer bet because he's bigger? So there's like – He's Friday, Friday, right? And Lighter Saturday. Not that yeah. it matters. But. They're both – they're both pretty absurd. Yeah, but the other guy, I'm hearing 1-1 one, one on the other one. Lighter will be 1-3, one, 1-2. One, I, mean, I don't think you can go wrong either. Mr. Patrick is really hoping Lighter gets to the Red Sox at 4. four. He's talking about it a lot, bringing it up frequently. So Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, they, if that doesn't happen, point, we get to wear him out about it. Can you imagine we've gotten to a point in the game where excitement about the draft is like now – penetrates fans where I'd say 15 years ago, nobody in baseball ever paid attention to the draft enough to know even who a draft pick was because they knew they weren't going to see him for three, four, six years type stuff. Yeah. So it, it goes back to that whole, like Vanderbilt is like a minor league system. If you're a high school kid, if you're a high school kid coming out of coming out of high school, choosing like, I bet they eat really well. They have really good trainers. They have, they're surrounded by really competitive people. Uh, Corbin is fantastic and he runs a really tight ship. So like you're going to be in college, you're going to be around that more than you would be in pro ball, pro ball season ends. See you later. See you in the springtime. Good luck. Here's a, here's a workout printout. Uh, it's just a whole different world. And if you're getting the nutrition, you're getting the training, you're around it. They have a sick biomechanics lab and everything there. Like you have access to everything you would ever need there. You're getting school for free. Like it's a pretty good gig. I might want not free, but maybe nobody's getting a hundred. Maybe those yeah. two guys are. Yeah, they might be getting a full right there, or uh, they're doing all right. Their their situation is pretty cushy. Yeah, they're not in bad shape. So. Yeah. Um. So that over a minor league, I mean, tell you what, it's better than pitching the GCL. I know that. I wonder can they can they take out like an insurance policy if they get hurt? I'm sure they could. If you can do anything, if you, if you got like a like Tyler Beatty situation, first round draft pick get offered X amount of dollars, million bucks, two million bucks, whatever it is. You're like, I'm gonna take an insurance policy out that if I get hurt, I'm still gonna get uh, get paid. And then if you make it through and you do better, then you do better. They should sign one of those Tatis deals right now. I bet you can do it. The NCAA find a way to make get mad at them. There's yeah, no scenario in which you're not taking. <laughs> 
right now, like potential future future earnings on those guys are like over two hundred million, right? We're assuming. Like let's just say I don't need an algorithm to figure it out, but I mean they're they're teed up to be two of the best pitchers to ever play. Like they're the most advanced at a young age, whatever, blah blah. blah. So like call it one hundred fifty. Um, you know, is there any scenario in which you're not going to trade ten million right now for, um, for part of your future earnings? If you don't need to, you don't need to. I like what Tatis did. I can't believe people are mad at him. I remember the first time we talked about one of those deals. We talked about it doing it for me. I was like, yeah, money. Yeah, what a great deal for you. Uh, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I think it'd be cool to see them just, just take them, like pick up and pick them up in a crane. Uh, what's the the Silicon Valley? Uh, get the chopper going, like the dead elephant. <laughs> crane drop them off just put them right in the big leagues and see what happens it'd be so cool to see that yeah oh i i don't i mean look i, I think if there's anybody that's equipped to do it it's probably them what it comes down to again is how ready are they mentally to do it because their stuff certainly will play it's gonna go do the same thing you're doing throw it over not yep. get your feelings hurt the first time you get rocked and then go from there yeah all right next topic spring training for hitters how much is a hot spring training an indicator of talent and early season success? Current example is Bobby Dahlbeck of the Red Sox having a really good spring, hitting a bunch of homers. Uh, I guess I'll just throw it to you on thoughts on this. I've got some specific examples that I want to talk about. Um, can you talk – I actually want to ask you specifically about hitter performance in spring training relative to what the pitchers are actually trying to do. Like what percentage of the time in, the, in big league spring training – are pitchers actually trying to get guys out as opposed to just working on their feel? I mean, it depends on who's pitching. If it's Corey Kluber, you're probably like, he's just out there trying to figure it out. Um, you know, if it's a guy that's pitching the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, trying to make a team, that guy's trying to carve. So, um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's touch and go, hit or miss, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I still hitting still hard and people are still trying to get people out. I don't think there's any scenario where a pitcher goes out there and is like, man, I hope I give up seven today. Um, you know, they're still trying to execute. Um, I, I never, so like from my perspective, it never, like none of that ever made sense to me when people were like, oh, well, once they figure them out, it's like, okay, now you figured me out. You still got to execute your pitches and I'll take my chances knowing that you're going to miss at some point. Um you think it's fair to say that guys like early in spring training might be more like focusing on a specific pitch, especially if it's an established guy, maybe out there just working on a pitch, getting a feel for a changeup, making trying to throw first pitch breaking ball, something, as opposed to later in spring training when they're starting to dial in. I'll tell you what, I think the score matters less in spring training. So I think, what like the example that I use, right? Like we, we always talk about this: guys that are kings of the meaningless homers during the regular season. Um, you know, you hit 20 homers and drive in 34 or 36 or whatever. It, it, those always bothered me because if you're going to hit 20 homers in a regular season and drive in 30, I think, no offense to Steve Pierce because I think Steve Pierce is actually a nice hitter. But I remember one year we're playing against him. I looked up the score where he had 20 hom 21 homers and he had 40 RBIs. And I was like, how is this possible? You know, so if you hit 21 solo homers, or let's just call it 10 of your homers were solo. Steve Pierce on Twitter right now. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, and I love I love Piercy. I get along with him. I think Piercy's a really good hitter, but I remember going, man, like, how do you have 21 homers and 40 RBIs? And so, 
the thing that the thing that happens is like guys like Max Scherzer when they're up eight to one or seven to one, they're just coming after you, right? They're just throwing here, hit it, right? So you you have a chance at your ambush fastball homer in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning, as opposed to when you face Scherzer in the seventh, and this guy's got second and third, and he's up by one. Like this guy's locked in. That pitch is just going to get executed in a different way. Um, so I would say the difference in, in camp is like doesn't matter what the score is. They're just they're gonna they're gonna attack more more so. I would say right. They're gonna try to throw first pitch strikes, uh, whether it be with the breaker or the fastball. I, I, I've never really bought in, and, and I mean you'd have to ask pitchers too. So I, I tended not to talk to pitchers, and I actually had this discussion uh, the other day. Like I don't like pitchers to begin with, so why would I talk to them? It's ironic. I actually sent I sent an Instagram message to a pitcher last night. I think the closest I've ever come to liking a pitching staff is probably the San Francisco Giants this year. They got Tyler Beatty, Logan Webb, Aaron Sanchez, who are like, you know, whatever. And the pitching coach, Andrew Bailey. How about that? Former teammate, NCBL. He's completely off topic. Sorry. Wagner, right? He's into Wagner? Wagner, yeah. Mill City All-Americans. But, I, you know, again, I would say how much is spring training indicative? I don't know. For hitters, it's always good to go good, right? It's never bad to hit barrels. How about – do you ever feel like uh, – they talk about, like, milestone things. So, like, in the marathon, they get – like, a ton of people will finish right before the four-hour four, four hour mark, and then it, like, tails off because, like, people are pushing for that that milestone. In spring training, it's like – when the new season starts, when the regular season starts, like you hit the reset button, do you think it's hard to carry over momentum from spring training to regular season? If you think it is, then yeah. Like it, what it comes down to, Bobby, we, we've talked about this before, right? We've, we've talked about how we thought we were going to run out of hits. Yeah. Right. If you think you're going to run out of hits, you'll probably run out of hits. If you don't, you won't. Like it just, it all depends on what, how you shape it in your own mind. My favorite story about that is when the I don't know if you've ever told the story on Pickle with uh, the New York time the New York. Uh, the no, guy. I definitely haven't told that one. Yeah. So, the, what was it? What was who did he write for? Sweeney Murdy. He's a Yankees beat writer. I'm so it's 2015. Time. You're in New York playing the Yankees, and he's like, "Hey, man, you're still really hot," or something to that effect. It was and August. Have, yeah, it's like late in the year. Hitting 320, and you go. At what point am I just good? Like, I'm, I am might I hot or am I good? There's a difference. I might have used some choice words. Well, we're just a, we're trying to not have to yeah. tag our PG. YouTube. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, at, like he's like, yeah, you're still on fire, huh? And I was like, at what point do you just become a good hitter? Like, at what point are you just good and not on fire anymore? And that so that like, and I could talk about the mindset stuff, which is what I I get excited to talk about because the thing that I could say about that year is I went wire to wire, like just mentally. I went wire to wire. And and that's why that year turned out to be what it was. I, I would make the argument that I did that in – I came really close to doing it in 2011 when I was in indie ball still. I, I kind of gave away the last two weeks because I started worrying about getting hits. But in, in 2015, I went first day of the season to last day of the season just focused on process, enjoying myself, appreciating the game and just trying to get better every day. And and that was why it turned into what it was. That, and then there were other years where, you know, you, 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 whatever, something strays in your brain, some, you know, a pterodactyl flies out of the sky and does something weird to you. And just, it depends, like, 
there's a million variables that can hit you in the face, right? There's a million. Girlfriend broke up with you. Uh, you know, you got in a car accident. You're a little bit hurt. You slept wrong. Uh, your nutrition sucks. Uh, your nutrition's so good that you don't get comfort food. Like, it, whatever. Like, what sets off things in our brain that make, make us go, oh, my God. And you start doubting yourself, right? The, the key to the whole thing is, is balancing that triangle of confidence, humility, knowing that you can get your pushed in, your teeth kicked in any given day, and a little bit of that insecurity to say, like, when things go wrong, you know it's not your fault. You know it's the game is – it kind of goes hand in hand with the humility thing. Like, I remember Jose Bautista used to strike out on pitches right down the middle, and he'd walk in and be like, that was such a ball. And I'd go look at K-Zone, and it like, split it four ways. And he's like, well, K-Zone's wrong, and I'm like, what? Like, it was right down the middle house. He's like, no, 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 that was off. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Like, you need that, man. Because you have to, if you're not confident every day, if you don't believe you're the best player on earth, ain't nobody else going to do it for you. So, like, what makes you believe you're the best player on earth? You. That's it. Like, you have to be the one that's confident in you, regardless of the situations. Right? If you guys see what my dogs are doing right now, you'll laugh really like they're gonna knock my table over because they're in a wrestling match right here at the bottom of it. The dogs, they're always always getting into something, those two. Yeah. Uh I did I, I had a couple examples. Uh Sean Rodriguez, 2010. I first started that's when I was really like getting into swing stuff, trying to figure it out. Spring training, 460 with six homers and 63 at bats. And then regular season, 250 with nine homers and 343 at bats. So he just got he got he got hot. Uh, Bobby Dalbeck, I think he had five homers in the game in a, in a row, five games in a row last year. Uh, but if you go through his like his career numbers for like his batting average and everything, in his entire career, he's had two seasons. Like his college college season as a sophomore, he had three three nineteen, and then he had three eighty six for thirty four games in uh, in Lowell, Massachusetts. And ever since then, he's been – he's a career 260 hitter. So Jake, like, Fox, Jake Fox hit 10 homers in spring training. He got MLB.com cover story the other day. And I texted him. I was like, Foxy, you're such a legend. Because it, it's a legendary spring. He hit 10 homers. He homered off Scherzer. He homered off everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, he got everybody. Ended up making the team. And Jake Fox is a really good hitter. Jake Fox is very capable. I mean, in the very limited opportunities to get in the big leagues, he OPS a ton, like, like 780, 800 almost like never got a chance to be a full-time player because i mean he's like like mighty mouse i don't even know what the, the good comp body wise for him is the short stocky and by his own admission he's like can't play the field anywhere um but man he could hit homers with the best of them like that guy he was on pace to hit like if he carried that spring training pace into the regular season he was gonna hit. He was on pace to hit like sixty-eight homers or whatever. And I really firmly believe like this guy's capable because he can hit. Um, Corey Seager's got six right now, so shit. Like, oh, is it? Like, it, it just. I don't know. Like baseball's weird, man. Sometimes Seager, you're hot. Seager's sometimes you're cold. Seager will get the at bats to 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 see what happens there. At least he's got. Uh, he hit twenty-six one year, but he's not gonna hit fifty. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll, he'll pull great again. I'll tell you what. He looked like the, uh, if Randy Rosa real deal wasn't playing in the postseason last year, Seager, man, he had a good good postseason. I think he, it's he got hurt a little bit. It's 
Sometimes people forget how good that guy is. Yeah, he's a good player. You can get paid, um, too. Yeah, he's... Free agent after this year. Yeah, he's going to do all right. He's going to do okay. Um, yeah, but so the other aspect of the Bobby Dalback situation is he's clearly doing some like swing change type stuff. The, the way he's finishing his swing now, um, I don't know who he's worked with, but he's got some uh, the anti-rollover, which is like the rage right now, which he used to do in 2015, which is funny. Uh, I love this. Yeah. Yeah, everybody just doesn't want to roll over anymore. I started doing that when I was like 17. Because you're a good hitter. I just didn't like making outs. People ask me that all the time. I just don't like making outs. If you don't like making outs, you can be good at hitting. Yeah. So we'll see. So Kenny Graham sent us a picture. Do you remember the MLB swing change players, their minor yeah. league numbers? Yeah. So it's pretty funny because the, the guys on the list are Aaron Judge, Jose Bautista, Chris Taylor, Josh Donaldson, Marlon Bird, Justin Turner, Daniel Murphy, Jose Altuve, J.D. Martinez, Chris Colabello. There we go. Uh, and basically like their minor league numbers are their big league numbers. And for me, I've always thought swing change guys allow their, the, 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 they have a hole in their swing that they need to cover, whether that's a timing thing, a, a location thing, they have something that's exploitable at the big league level. And when they learn how to cover it, when they learn how to manage it, guys can't just attack them in a specific way. And their numbers return to what they're capable of and what they that like that's who they are as a hitter. So if Dahlbeck's a 260 hitter, does he become a 290 hitter? What's the Gedman rule? 30 is it 30 points up and down? Yeah, 30 to each side. So he could be a 290 or it could be 230. It, it's it's really funny, right? When you when you try to conceptualize this stuff. Like once you start getting over 500, 600, 1,000 at bats there's a pretty good chance you're going to be where you're supposed to be, right? In terms of evaluating who a guy is, who a player is, no matter what level you're playing at, because it's really, I mean, short of, you know, division three college baseball, where maybe sometimes the guys can't catch or even division one college baseball, whatever. But it's hard for me to sit here and say, why don't we trust guys' minor league numbers? We almost discredit them or throw them out the window, or they just use them to validate the stuff that they want to validate. I, I can never understand how my minor league numbers were so overlooked, discredited. So I was like, man, I've been doing this for the better part of 10 years. You know, I was, I think when I got done AAA, by the time I got done my 2013 season, I was like a 318 career minor league hitter. And then I had the injury in 14, so that took me down a little bit. 15 brought me back up, seven, 16, 16, 17. But I still think I'm a 300 career minor league hitter, if you count any ball in affiliated. I haven't checked. I know those years will get dark for me from 14 on. Yeah. Well, once you get to big leagues, you went like this. I'm a big leaguer now. I'm a big leaguer now. Yeah. Which you should. Um, any... Advice. This is like a mini hitter therapy session. Any advice or tips that high school and college hitters can take from like a big league spring training? Like what, if you could take lessons you've learned from your spring training experiences and apply them to your, your past self, what would you, what would be like the number one or two things that you would do differently 
how you prepared for high school or college seasons? The fun, the funniest thing is like most, most of the college guys that we have a relationship with have all started playing at this point. And it's funny because I had three guys start out really well within their first two or three games, Homer, you know, a lot of knocks on one day and, you know, you're riding the wave, it's excited. And then within a day or two or a week, it got their teeth kicked in, right? Oh, for three, oh, for five, oh, for six, whatever, doubleheader, oh, for eight. And I keep trying to convey this, and it's so hard because I, I wasn't capable of it, but no, nobody ever talked to me the way I think, I hope that I talk to young players. It doesn't matter. Like, it literally doesn't matter. And if somebody could have just created that context for me and helped me understand how little it actually matters. Like, if you're good at baseball, if you're good, right, or if you're a good player, like, what you do today has no bearing on the outcome of your career. Like, literally zero. And that's independent of whether you're 0 for your last 20 or 20 for your last 20. And I think that would have helped me control my emotions. My emotions were just overtook me so often and I, they weren't outward. Right. And I think anybody that played with me, like you played a couple seasons with me and I never slammed helmets. I never broke bats and none of that stuff. Like I always was very consistent with my, my outward expressions, but man, oh man, did I fight some battles internally? Like if I started a game over two, it was a pretty good chance I was going over four. Now you're very unlikely I'm going to get a hit. And it was crazy because I was a guy that hit 300 every year. I don't even know how I did it sometimes, but I just, I knew if I started a game 0 for 2, I was in trouble because I'd be sitting there forcing myself to think about trying to get a hit. And maybe it didn't have as big an impact as it felt like it did, but I, I know that emotionally the game beat me up. Like I go 0 for 4, I wouldn't want to talk to anybody. I'd stay at the field till one in the morning, wouldn't want to go out, wouldn't want to hang out with anyone. So I rode the wave and I see young guys do it all the time now. And I'm like, they're doing the same things that I did only it's more outward. It's louder, probably like whatever. Right. So my advice would be learn to control your thoughts. The, the craziest thing is we like the game is 100% mental. Like there's physical things that we need to check boxes on. Right. But it, it is mental. It is a mental nightmare and it is a battle of attrition practice like we practice how many swings the guys take in the offseason how many times they go to the cage and hit for hours on end and get blisters and this and that and it, like you never practice your mental skills like you don't you don't ever practice hey i'm gonna go over for today and see how i deal with it you don't ever think about what it'd be like to be hitting 111 in the second week of the season with like you know a punch out half your at bat so i would challenge myself mentally to put myself in situations that I was uncomfortable in, in anything, and just learn how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's the biggest thing I would go back and do. And if you watch spring training, like you can learn how to just control everything from big league hitters or, and even high level minor league hitters. Like everybody looks in control in spring training, even when they look bad, because they don't care. It's spring training. Don't yeah, go on your bubble gum card. They don't overreact to situations that are negative. It's like, yep, that happened. Learn from it, move forward, acknowledge that it's early all you can do i always felt like in a in a season you get you you find your rhythm and sometimes it happens early sometimes it doesn't happen as early as you want it to but you get into a rhythm where you you feel like yourself and then you just kind of settle into the season um i always felt like we've talked about this before any cbl when you're playing every day it's like groundhog day you show up at the field you take bp you play your game you go home wash your uniform do it again tomorrow it's just this like cycle over and over and over in, in high school you can get 
it can be hard because like you got a test, you got, you know, it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday games and it rains. So you don't play on Wednesday. You don't practice, uh, some, you know, get a bad grade on a test and you're freaking out. And there's like, there's always stuff that's blocking you from just focusing on the game. So it's, it's, I think you have to learn how to compartmentalize. And when you, when you're in the field, when you're at the field, you got to be present at the field. You can't let all the other stuff show up in your brain. You just got to set it to set it to the side, be in the moment and just play the game. Just play the game. The times I knew I was going good was when Groundhog Day was happening, right? Those were the times I knew I was fine because I, I didn't have to worry about anything. I literally didn't have to worry about my swing. I didn't have to worry about it. I, I just knew what I needed to go take care of. And to your point, it's sometimes it takes you a longer time. I, I think back to as, as close to two years ago, right? Two years ago, I was playing in Kansas City in independent ball so I could get ready for the Olympic stuff. And I remember, and at a mature level, like you're playing any ball, you almost don't care anymore, right? It, it, not that you don't care, but you're certainly more equipped to handle struggling or whatever it might be. I remember I started out okay. I was, I had a big series, like our third, second or third series. I was there, I had three homers in the series. And I, so I threw 28 at bats. I had three home runs. I was like, oh man, I'm going to kill this league. I went 100 at bats without an extra base hit. Without an extra base hit, 100 at bats, like, I'm, what's that, a month? Probably, you know. A lot. Um, and I was hitting like 230. And I was like, what? I was like, what is going on? So I was, I was like grinding mentally a little bit, like not to the point where I was stressed out or I was still upset. Like I'm a competitor, but then I remember the day that it kind of like, I, I figured the thing out that I needed to figure out. It was really a top hand related issue. I was just, I was letting go of the bat. And I was wondering why I was missing a lot of good pitches to hit that I would normally feel like I, I should have hit to the right side on a line or with authority. And uh, once that happened, everything else went fast. The rest of you just went fast. It was like, Boom, boom. And by the time I knew it, we were done. As opposed to like, it felt like that last three weeks or whatever it was took forever. You know what I mean? Um, and so I don't know. I think, I think people, I, I imagine a lot of people feel like that. And I know at college and high school, it's different because you're just not playing. So there's just so much more emotion involved in the game. And um, I don't know. I, the, the advice I have though is just try to enjoy it. I've been, talking like I've been relating things to, to college kids lately like how many people actually care how many hits you get again if you think about it nobody care your parents care you care yeah, but your parents only care because they care about you because they don't want you to be upset right does your coach even care how many hits you get if you win and you and you help the team if you have just unreasonably non-competitive at bats then he, then he cares but if you get in there and compete he doesn't care yeah, he don't care either Crazy. Funny. Nobody cares. And oh, by the way, there's like 5,000 other baseball games going on in the current moment. So, like, try to give people perspective. Nobody, nobody cares. cares. When, I the Blue Jays. Nobody, when I played for the Blue Jays, we had like, I don't know how many Blue Jays fans are there in the world 10 million, 50 million. I, I, I don't even know the number. Nobody cared how many hits I got. Lou, my dad did. My dad. He's like, oh, you're going to get three today. There, there are a lot of negative comments on like Twitter when you don't get hits, especially if it's in a big moment, they care. But like if it's seven, nothing in the fourth inning and you roll over, nobody cares. But if you went back and asked any of those people on Twitter that didn't have the internet in front of them, what that person's done their last 10 at bats, would they know? 
No. No shot. No shot. All right. Uh, NCAA basketball tournament. We had the first weekend. Bunch of upsets. Oral Roberts, 15 seed in the Sweet 16. That's pretty cool. Uh, Illinois got beat by St. Mary's. Something Mary. Something. Who they lose to? It was Illinois versus Illinois crime. Loyola, Chicago. Loyola, Chicago, bro. Come on. Clean it up. Uh, Who else? Texas UT lost to Abilene Christian University. Like, like something. It's funny how like schools will show up you never even heard of before and just beat a a big name school. Um, The question is, does the rule of don't poop down your leg apply to basketball? And yeah, we were watching some games. There's some times where kids just speed up and try to do everything at once, and it doesn't end well. Syracuse was having trouble inbounding the ball last night. And then and the guy goes to the line for a one-and-one, and, you know, what, what is it? A free throw is like 18 feet. He threw up a 16-footer, like, on his first free throw. And the guy's a 78% foul shooter. Like, non-competitive foul shot in a five-point game. <laughs> NCFT? Yeah. No, I, I went with that fast. I didn't even give him the FT, but yeah, it would be foul FT. shot. An NCFT, non-competitive foul shot, foul free, non-competitive free throw, um, as the front end of the one-on-one. And like you see, I mean, it happens a lot. Like you, the 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 seeds in in the, in the NCAA tournament are a surefire way to just dictate like how the game's going to go, right? You, you very rarely see blowouts from the higher, like the lower seed, I guess. Like if the eleven beats the six. Very rarely do you see a 10, 15, 20-point game in that direction. I think it's actually – it happened a couple of times this year. But if being the higher seed gives you, like, that that little bit of uh, just uh, that edge, right? Well, they're probably you a better be down team 10, like, better athletes, to be fair. Did you see how Houston came back and won the game? They were down six with, like, a minute 30, and then they won by three in regulation. That one, that one was tough to watch. See, West Virginia, West Virginia was down nine. And they went on a 9-2 run or whatever to cut it to – or they were down 11 to cut it to, to four at any given point, and Syracuse almost blew it. So, yeah, people poop down their legs all the time. Because if you just breathe and play basketball, like, you're going to be fine. But and, at, and at what point do you have to moments. say, like, that's what makes that team good is the, the fact that they have the ability to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think in big moments, emotions can spike. Time, time speeds up and bad things can happen. Well, it's because you only have one shot at it, right? It's a one game. It's a one-and-done situation. Um, it, it, Illinois hasn't been that high of a seed uh, ever, maybe, in the tournament. So maybe that was something for them that they – I don't know. You know, they were worried, nervous, whatever you want to call it. I think this is going to be the most double-digit seeds, I think, ever in the Sweet 16. Did you just make that up? No, I, th- I heard that. Like, there, there's going to be, like, at least, at least four double-digit – seeds in the sweet 16 we'll have to fact check that one but it, i didn't been- i didn't come in hot i heard i said i heard yeah <laughs> but it is the year of the double digit seeds because uh ucla is playing abilene christian that's an 11 versus a 14 to go to the sweet 16 love it and they did the reseeding too so they they had to go through two higher seeds guaranteed higher seeds anyway because they're doing it all, all in the bubble uh it's been fun to watch though NCAA tournament's always fun. My favorite thing to do, we, I do a game. We do an over-under on uh, real-time remaining, RTR. So we'll say it's like two minutes left in the game, two-point game. Both teams have two timeouts. 
uh, one team's in bonus, one's in double bonus, and then you set the over-under for how much real time will remain. It's going to take, yeah. So it'll be like 12 minutes. <laughs> you have to pick it over-under. Uh, we, we got within a minute twice yet. It was pretty exciting. The Illinois game, we needed one more foul. We had a situation on, was it Friday or Thursday? A team was down by like four. They had 30 seconds left on the clock, and they took like 15 seconds bringing the ball up. Like run your full offense, shot a terrible two, missed. And then the whole it was that was the was that the oral RTR Roberts? got just destroyed. Was that the Oral Roberts game against Ohio State? It was not Oral Roberts. I forget who it was, but it was terrible. Like they were down by four, and they worked really hard to get a two, like a long. It was like an eighteen foot two. Yeah, and missed. And then I think they did they even foul at the end. Then they just they just packed it up. They're like, all right, well, we lost. About, let, let's talk about the poop down here. Like, <laughs> you need a foul. Last night we had like guys get like multiple cuts. They like had the trainer over. We're like, cut, fix that cut, fix that. Cut. <laughs> like we need time to take that because we did 18 minutes. I think it was 18 minutes for like two and a half minutes left. Nice. And we almost made it. We missed by uh, 40 seconds. We need one more foul. We would have got there. Let's go back to the poop down your legs thing, right? So I'm thinking of the Syracuse West Virginia game. So for the first of all, the point guard for Syracuse or whatever he is. I think he's a point guard. He's 76% ball shooter. Like Buddy Beheim, who's Jim Beheim's son, is the, is the shooting guard who's electric. So he goes to the line for one and one Just cash money's both of them, right? Like, ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Just as cool as the other side of the pillow. Like this dude. And the, the announcer was like, man, you want this guy shooting for you when the game's on the line? And the other guy's like, I want him. Clark Kellogg was like, I want him shooting for me anytime. I don't care what it is. So then the other guy goes to the line. So it's like a five-point game. <laughs> the other guy goes up, and he's like a 76% free throw shooter. So, like, you have a clue. Like, it's a pretty good foul shooting percentage. He's like, Again. <laughs> choke, non-competitive free throw. West Virginia gets a rebound. They run down court. Whoop, whoop, lay it in, right? So now, <laughs> so now you want to talk about the poop down your leg moment. Syracuse had trouble getting the ball in. They got tied up on the first one. So, like, Jump ball. Well, they kept passing the it into the corner. Yeah. They passed in the corner. Three and then times they, couldn't like, they, they couldn't make passes. But finally, like, Beheim was like, nah, give me the ball in space. So, like, he, he gets the throw over his shoulder. Beheim goes to the line and he makes the first one to make it three, right? Now, West Virginia has no timeouts left with like four seconds, three seconds left on the clock. He was like, yeah. He misses the second foul shot. They get and the they rebound. Team, and they just stood there. No, outlet pass. And the kid goes, huh? And he's traveled. You want to talk about pooping down your leg? Like what? Like in what well, scenario were, were you not seeing that guy missing the shot and the, the the Syracuse defenders collapsing on you as you were catching a pass? They were. I think they were going to foul, but then he just he panicked. That's they, they pooping down your leg, though. Printing him. Yeah, he did poop down his leg. But you know what's funny to me is like all every team for the most part has one guy who doesn't poop down their leg. Like Behan doesn't poop down his leg for Syracuse. You know, and, and like even when Steph Curry was at Davidson and Steph Curry, Steph Curry, and nobody knew who he was when he was at Davidson. He was literally like 86 pounds when he played at Davidson. Jersey was way too big. I loved him. But you always have one guy like North Texas has a guy who's like, nah, give me the ball. I'm going to go for 30. Yeah, it's a it's a mental toughness thing. It's a demeanor. It's a character trait. It's Swagosaurus Rex. Mm hmm. I remember you remember when D Wade would play in the tournament and he was just taking names he's just yeah he's a marquette right yeah i, I remember when wally zerbiak played for miami of ohio too wally wally was on the uh post game on he's on the march madness crew now. yeah he was dancing did you see the whole dancing segment yeah it was hysterical to watch 
painful. It was funny though. Well, Last question, post show. Uh, I asked a bunch of questions again this week on Twitter. I think my favorite question was, "What's the best movie to watch on a road trip?" I don't know what the road trips are like now. Is it is the kids just all on their phones, headphones on, not talking to each other? Yeah, you don't put movies on. That's no bus movies. Uh, Remember the Titans is my favorite. I think it's a great team movie, overcoming adversity. We talked about that last week, I think. The too. last time I put a movie on on a bus was 2012 in AA. I think it's important to get inside jokes. So uh, we went for a walk around the, the lake in downtown Austin yesterday, and I just had like a sneezing fit. And then... Weird, you? Yeah, I had just massive, just I sneezed like 12 times in a row. Weird. And I said, that's why we come out here, nature. And I think Patrick got it. Did you, you understand where that came from? He didn't even know where it came from, but he laughed. Robert Goulet, Will Ferrell, Best of Saturday Night Live. You guys didn't go through a Best of Saturday Night Live thing on... We're talking about movies. Get off the shed. Like, there's a whole bunch of one-liners that when your team has a bunch of one-liners and you can say stuff that other people don't understand and it's funny, that's camaraderie. Are you talking about SNL when we're talking about movies? You sound like Sawsville right now. Sawsville, best movie like- ever, eastbound and down. What? Yeah, it's not even a movie. But it's it's a, it's a media on a bus. That's fair. It's a DVD. You plug it in and you watch it. Eastbound and Down is a TV series. Like if I said best TV series, it's either Eastbound and Down or Entourage. You would always, I would always choose Entourage or Friends. It doesn't matter. And the best movie ever to watch on the bus is Pitch Perfect because I can do the whole dance. I literally, after you post that question, Pitch Perfect actually started, is now showing up on HBO, which is awesome. So when I go on HBO Max, I see it. And I actually rewatched it for the conservatively 403rd time. Watch that movie three times. I know the whole dance. I know the Bella's whole dance. Seems like everybody's got a price. I wonder how they sleep at night. When the sale comes first and the truth comes second, just stop for a minute and smile. <laughs> it ain't all about the money. It's not about the money, money, money. We don't need the money, money, money. We just want to let the world in. Forget about the prize. It's your, it's your favorite movie, but is it? Yeah, that's all that matters is what my favorite movie is. I don't care what your favorite movie is. Good team player. That's nice. No, because it matters to you. All right. That's it. No Tom Brady. I'm done. All right. That's it. Episode 32 is over. Bushes. Like, like, share, subscribe. Smash the like button. Blah, 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 blah. We're done. Pickle out. You usually say that. Pickle out!